Hey, welcome everybody to uh, the second installment of the Super Duper Pastor Podcast, which is a horrible name. Guys, can we not come up with a better name for this podcast? We don't have a marketing team. Well, hey, this is Randy Drawn. I'm pastor at the Granny White campus, and I got a couple of uh, my favorite humans here with me today. Elliot Cherry, who's over at 12 South, hey, and guys. Brent Benetti, who is over at our East Campus. What's up? Welcome, fellas. Good to have you here. Thanks. Glad to be here. Glad to be at Stephen Goss's studio again. Absolutely, man. You know, everybody's been hunkering down because of this coronavirus. What have you guys been up to? Brant, you got back to town. I did. We got back from San Diego right before California uh, shut down. So there glad, you go. glad to be locked up at home, at least. Yeah. Trying to work from home, but also enjoying the distraction of having our two-year-old running around. Yeah. My sister and brother-in-law and their baby are also locked up with us. So wow. fun to have some company in the quarantine. We, uh, we've actually uh, had a great time at home. I'm thankful that the kids so far are about 95% meltdown free. Don't mean to brag about that to those listening with children, but my kids have been rock stars and my wife has been a rock star. We've gotten lots of puzzles done and lots of crafts done. And I'm sure in about a week we'll run out of all those things, but it's been good so far. We were talking earlier with these guys about how much people are watching Netflix. And I asked, is it possible for one person to watch everything that's on Netflix? <laughs> like, could you do that? Do you think that's possible? Uh, Humanly possible. I actually don't. It's like finding the end of the internet. I actually don't think it's even possible. But if you had to. The limit does not exist. Like yeah. if you had to watch everything on Netflix before you died, what section of Netflix <laughs> would drive you absolutely nuts? I could oh, not man. do anything like the horror section. And I know you think, oh, that's that's such a pastor answer. I mean, anything that is remotely spooky. Like, cannot do it. Well, like, it's a good thing you missed last week's podcast because we did that on Jesus setting free the demoniac. That's right. So. That's right. If I had to resist watching one thing, it would probably be... And I haven't even seen the new one. What's the new like love circle or what's the new one? Like any, Love is Blind. Love is Blind. Yes. Yeah, like the the dating yeah, I don't reality watch stuff. I just pray. Um oh my gosh. <laughs> the dating reality it really all reality TV kind of makes me cringe. Uh, I would probably have to avoid all of that on Netflix for as long as I could. Thank goodness we don't have to get to the end of Netflix, but just want to remind everybody that we're in our second week of shutdown and maybe we could go through the list of things that have been shut down at Midtown. Yeah everything there's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. exhaustive list we're not meeting this sunday once again not out of fear but really out of a deep love for this city uh not trying to run away from something but literally as we talked about last week running into something because people of faith people that know this loving jesus of ours who cares for us deeply gives us courage to run into mm -hmm. The needs of our city, and right now that need is to isolate and keep this virus mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. really expanding quickly and putting a strain on the hospital systems. Yeah, Really miss being with our congregations and our time of worship, but trust the Lord is using that. Well, it's kind of scary. Do you guys watch the news very much? Are you trying to stay away from that? or I've been busy trying to watch everything on Netflix. <laughs> right. I have had to moderate the amount of news that I take in. Mm. It's amazing to me how the fear in me when I 
keep scrolling on my phone just grows and grows and grows. And sometimes it comes out as fear. Sometimes it also comes out as anger. Mm. I can use, I mean, news of various sorts to feed that in me as well as a way to avoid the fear. Mm. So I've definitely had to be conscious about how often I look at the news and had to scale that back just to protect my own heart. Mm. Yeah, and it's such a normal thing to, to be scared right now because it's scary some of the things that are on the news. And the passage that we're going to be talking about today, it talks directly about fear and it talks about mm-hmm. what it means to be scared. In fact, it's been beautiful to see the sovereignty of God, how he has led us into Luke chapter eight mm-hmm. in the midst of our tornado and then yeah. now the coronavirus because this whole chapter is talking about Jesus confronting some of the biggest fears of humanity. Yeah. You know, the first thing he dealt with was the storm at sea, our fear of the natural world that we can't control, like tornadoes. Mm -hmm. And then last week, he confronted a demon-possessed man, and he was facing the kind of things a lot of horror movies are made after, which is the demonic world and Mm -hmm. the devil, and man forever has been afraid of that world. Mm -hmm. And then this week, he's talking about sickness and death. Yeah. which how appropriate yeah. during this day. So excited to dive into that. Which so, it's interesting thinking about the question that has been posed over and over again in our Luke stories has been, who is this Jesus? And yeah. this is how Jesus wanted to answer those questions by showing who he is in relationship to our greatest fears, yeah. uh, which not only God's sovereignty and having us wrestle with these passages in these weeks in Nashville, but also ultimate questions. Who is this Jesus um, as the Lord of creation, Lord of the darkness, and Lord over death is always been the answer to that question. It's almost like Jesus is challenging our lesser hopes <laughs> because we hope that things don't go bad. We mm-hmm. hope that the spiritual world is not dark. We hope that we're not going to die or we're not going to get sick. Mm. And Jesus is coming in and declaring himself greater than those hopes mm. and calling us to put our hope in something bigger. Mm-hmm. But we'll talk more about that at the end of this story, but yeah. we'd love to dive into it. Mm-hmm. Which of you guys are going to read the passage for us? I think I'm reading it for us. Yep, go for it, Brent. We're in Luke 8, starting in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet... He implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. And Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive the power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any more. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Hmm. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. 
and her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat, and her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. (laughs) It's an amazing passage of scripture. It's Mm kind of like a sandwich story. Mm -hmm. There's a story within a story here, Mm -hmm. and a lot of fear to go around. Mm. Tell me what you guys are seeing here. Well, I think in line with the other stories of Luke 8, this fits right in. It's what you just said. There is fear everywhere. Every character is afraid. But there, Jesus, not only the master teacher and the master healer, Jesus is weaving this sandwich story. He's weaving this story within the story for our good and, and even for the good of the people in the story. But I just think it's amazing that all the parallels going on that this woman had been bleeding for 12 years and Jairus has a 12-year-old daughter, this man of high social status and this woman of very low social status, um, they both come and fall at Jesus' feet in desperation. And so I just think that they're like, we're watching two parallels that Jesus is masterfully weaving. Let me answer the question, who is this Jesus, by how I deal with these two stories of people who are afraid of death and afraid of sickness. Yeah, I'm struck by the way that Jesus is so gentle with the fear that these people show. Mm-hmm that he has a concern for their fear, that he doesn't shame it, but that he interacts with it. Mm -hmm. And he even draws it out of them. Mm -hmm. That he would slow down to pay attention to this woman while Jairus is waiting, knowing that his his daughter isn't well. Mm -hmm. Jesus is very comfortable interacting with fear and even the mounting fear of the people around him. Luke tells us that he is a leader in the synagogue. And talk a little bit about why is that in there? What does that mean? And Mm -hmm. is that important for us to understand this story? I think it is an important detail, partly for the reason that Elliot pointed out, that the fact that he's a synagogue leader means that he's a person of social standing in his community. Right. And, you know, there's some question as to whether or not that means that he's specifically a spiritual leader, or is it that he's almost like a business leader who's Mm -hmm. in charge of organizing the readings for their community, but Whatever it is, he's a man of really high social standing. Mm -hmm. And I think part of what Jesus is showing here is that uh, he is not willing to to spread out the coronavirus test kits based on who has the most influence. Mm -hmm. Right. That he's willing to meet the needs of all of the people who are in front of him, regardless Mm -hmm. of who they are. And I think it says something about the level of desperation that Jairus was in. That's partially why we need to know his social status, because if he was socially high or spiritually high, on either level, he is an Orthodox Jew, right. and this is this new religious leader, Jesus. For Jairus to come and fall at his feet and beg him to come to his house, on some levels means that Jairus is risking everything. That's how desperate he is, to fall at the feet of this rabbi who is preaching the message that Jesus is preaching means that Jairus is cashing all his chips in and saying, I've got to have something. Yeah, and I mean, think about, and let's kind of step into this guy's heart for just a second, because You guys are both parents, and as a parent, and your only child is dying. Mm -hmm. You know, most parents I know, they would rather die than their child be in Mm -hmm. that place. Mm -hmm. And so, talk a little bit about what's wrapped up as you use your sanctified imagination and this guy leaving his social status, falling at the feet, which is just an act of respect Mm -hmm. and desperation. Mm -hmm. Take us into his heart there. Mm. Yeah, I think that he is um, what you just alluded to as a dad. He, he's willing to risk anything to get his daughter well. She probably didn't get sick overnight. 
and he's probably wanting this to turn and wanting this to turn and wanting this to turn. And when it doesn't, he's saying, I'll go to anything. I'll pay any cost socially or financially to go get her well. And what is taken away, it's what you said earlier about all the lesser hopes being taken away when we're suffering, is that's what we have here. Is And we have it with the woman too, which we'll get to, but Jairus is clearly a man who all of his lesser hopes have been exhausted. Yeah. And that's why he's at the feet of Jesus. Mm. And he demonstrates the kind of desperation that on some level, we are all trying to insulate ourselves from. Hmm. You know, I would imagine yeah. that he's tried every other remedy that he can imagine, and this is his last hope. Mm-hmm. And in our world of modern medicine and modern conveniences, we have so many layers that we work through before we're willing to be this desperate. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that these moments come for all of us. Mm-hmm. that there's a limit to what science can do for us. There's a limit to what modern convenience and technology can do for us that drives us to this place of desperation. And I think what you talked about a little bit ago, Brant, there's this really painful reality of him placing his faith in Jesus. And we all know this on some levels, even in that there's expectations for how Jesus should respond. Like I'm coming to you in desperation, Jesus. Doesn't that mean that you will do this the way that I think you should do this still? Which speaks to he's on the way to Jairus' house, which is what Jairus wants, and he gets stopped by this woman. Right. It's a challenge even of Jairus's desperation for Jesus to go at his own pace yeah. in the story. Which is incredible how scripture just unfolds this because we get the urgency of Jairus's desperation. But then we get the slow burn of this woman's 12 years of suffering. Right. And how it creates desperation, but it it almost smells different. Yeah. Even though it's the same thing here. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about this woman for a Mm -hmm. minute. And uh, tell me what you guys are seeing in this passage. When I think about a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, she, she has been sick for as long as this man's daughter has been alive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she has this discharge of blood means that she would have been ceremonially unclean. Mm -hmm. And so she would have been socially isolated. Mm -hmm. For someone else in her community to touch her would have meant that they became spiritually unclean. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about a woman who hasn't been hugged Mm -hmm. in over a decade. Mm -hmm. Reading articles about what it's going to do to people to not physically interact with others for a few weeks. Mm -hmm. And imagine a woman who's whose life has been shaped by that reality for 12 years. No, I think, Brant, you're right. Jairus maybe willingly chooses in his own heart to get to this place of, I will cast all of my fears and hopes onto Jesus. This woman almost was forced into her isolation and desperation. And um, I think that's so many little elements that Luke tells us. And in the Mark and Matthew version of this story as well, they both tell this story too. Luke is so particular about little hints at just how timid and lonely and isolated this woman is. Like she doesn't even want to be seen by Jesus. She's just tugging on his garment and wants to slip away. And then she realizes she can't even hide from the crowd because Jesus is adamant about who touched me, who touched me. And it says she comes into view trembling. Like, I I have not been seen. No one has looked me in the eyes, which is an intimate interaction. Like, she is avoiding being seen at all costs. She just wants to be well. She doesn't want to be seen because she hasn't been seen. (laughs) Again, the uniqueness of studying these stories, we're in a week right now where social isolation is being mandated on some levels. And as this grows, potentially, some of us can relate to the fears of this woman after a week, and she'd been doing this for 12 years. 
I think that what you said is so powerful that being unseen for so long can lead you to a place where you don't even want to be seen anymore. Totally. Right. When we turn to Matthew or Mark, we see that she had gone to a lot of doctors and yeah. spent a lot of money, maybe mm-hmm. all of her money. Yeah. And there's something about a desperation that has ridden the roller coaster of hopefulness mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then disappointment. Hopefulness, disappointment, hopefulness, and disappointment for 12 years that cool. leads to almost a desperation that has a lot more color to it mm-hmm. than Jairus' mm-hmm. uh, desperation yeah. because of the urgency of his moment. Despair is probably become her best friend in the pain. I mean, Proverbs says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. How many hopes deferred has this woman had over 12 years? Which means, according to Proverbs, she has got a sick heart, knowing, like you just said, Brant, that I don't even want to be seen. I don't deserve to be seen. All the narratives that our sick heart tells us about ourselves, we see pretty clearly in this woman. I was even imagining her, you know, it says she spent everything she, all of her earnings on doctors imagining her saving up to try to get a new or a different kind of treatment and that failing and her having to work to save to do it all over again Mm -hmm. and to repeat that cycle over and over and over Mm -hmm. again would be Mm. soul crushing. Yeah, yeah. And here is Jesus stepping into the middle of both of these people's suffering. And with her, it's incredible because he doesn't just give her physical healing Mm -hmm. when she touched his garment. He does something really crazy I want you guys to talk about is he calls her out in front of the crowd. Like, here's a woman that's afraid and doesn't mm-hmm. want to be seen and realizes, I'm in a place I shouldn't be in because I'm unclean. I shouldn't be near people. I should be exercising you know, social distance. Mm-hmm. And yet, Jesus calls her out. What's mm-hmm. he doing there? Man. It seems cruel, <laughs> but it's not, is it? It might be my favorite part of this entire story. As I've studied it this week and dug into the story, I got choked up, got teary-eyed reading just the intentionality of Jesus, the laser focus of Jesus's deep affection for this woman. He heals her physically. She is healed immediately, we're told, when she touches the hem of his garment, but he will not let her leave without her being seen. And he says, who touched me? And Peter responds, and what are you talking about, Jesus? There's a bunch of people around you. And he goes, no, 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 who touched me? If we believe what the rest of the Bible says about Jesus, here he knows who touched him. He's not actually wondering who touched him. He's calling this woman out so that she can be seen, not so that he can get an answer to his question. And it says in the passage that she came out with fear and trembling. Now, everybody in this huge crowd is watching this moment of this socially isolated, despairing woman and he, in front of everybody, calls her daughter. Yeah. And the power of that healing moment that she has had relational wounds, and now she's got relational healing. Like, no one has called her daughter in years. And now the Lord over sickness and death is using the same word that Jairus uses for his little girl. This is my little girl. And I want everybody here to watch this moment happen because you didn't just need to stop your bleeding. We needed to stop all that the the darkness was doing to you, and I'm here to do that too. Well, I I just want to bring up one point here and then let you speak into this, Brad, because when he calls her out, he's actually healing her socially. He's right. declaring to the crowd that she's now clean right? and reinstating her back into society, bringing yes. her out of her isolation socially. Yes. Like he didn't just heal her physically and then leave her where she was. Yep. But when he called her daughter, he was also healing her spiritually. Mm-hmm. Would love for you guys to talk a little bit more about what that means. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys talked last week about what it means to receive a new name mm-hmm. or what it means 
to give someone else the authority to name us. Mm-hmm. And like we had talked about before, it, it's not very challenging to imagine all of the names that she could have put on herself or mm-hmm. that other people would have put on her in 12 years of being isolated. Mm-hmm that she would have come to believe that her name was unclean, that she Mm. was untouchable, that she was unwanted and undeserving. And in the middle of all of that, Jesus gives her a a new name. Mm -hmm. He says, daughter. And it's interesting to think that this woman was likely older than Jesus, (laughs) maybe significantly, Mm -hmm. like almost as old, as much older as you are than me, Randy. So, (laughs) wow. A lot. Like four years. Three times your age. (laughs) (laughs) But but he is speaking a word of healing to her from God. Mm -hmm. What is the big deal with the name daughter Hmm. or the big deal with the name son? (laughs) Because we go to church and a lot of people that listen to this have gone to church more than once. And they've heard this a lot, but take me deeper into it about why Mm. this name carries such weight in Mm. this story. Mm. I mean, I'm tearing up thinking about it, thinking about my own daughter. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that I wouldn't do for her. Mm. From crawling into her crib this morning to read her three cheers for Tacky the Penguin, which... Sounds like the end of Netflix. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Why don't we just spend the rest of our podcast? You read that to us. Yeah. I love that. Oh, from that to what Jairus does here, falling at the feet of Jesus saying, I, will, I would give everything in my life for my daughter to be made well. Mm-hmm. So is it possible that Jesus is expressing a desperate love for her mm-hmm. the way Jairus is expressing a desperate love for his own daughter? Mm-hmm. Honestly. Yeah, I think the parallel again here with Jairus, what Jairus is doing for his daughter, Jesus is doing the same for his daughter. Wow. Like there's this moment, and I love that Jairus is watching this moment. Like, hey, Jairus, what you just did in desperation for your daughter, I'm telling you that I'm here to do the same for mine, and I want you to pause and watch this. And Jairus, you actually are the synagogue leader in this community. You probably know this woman. You probably know she's not allowed in your gatherings, and I want you to see this that the same love you have for your own little girl is the same love that I have for mine, and I'm going to call her mine in front of you. I'm not saying that Jairus was offended by the fact that this woman was now clean, but it's more so, hey, let's use this fatherly desperation that started this story and then show how Jesus has the same kind of affection for this woman. I'm imagining like social situations, this falls apart on some levels, I'm sure, but like if my dad comes to the playground with me, I'm no longer afraid of the bully. There's this moment of like, hey, Jesus just said I'm his own. It doesn't really matter what you guys all think about me here. My father, who is the Lord of of the earth, is calling me his own. So I belong to him. Hmm. And it sets her free socially and and spiritually too. I mean, we could talk about this. We're all fathers of daughters Hmm. and how much our daughters mean to us. And I've often said this, one of my goals of raising a daughter is for her to leave my home knowing that she is loved rather than leaving my home going out and looking for love, Mm -hmm. that those two lives take us in very different directions. Mm -hmm. Talk to me now, guys, about us. When Jesus looks at us Mm -hmm. and calls us sons and daughters, what does that mean to us Mm. and to his church Mm. when he says that? Mm. For those of you listening, this is what it's like to work with Randy Drawn (laughs) and have regularly scheduled meetings with him where he asks... Questions that you thought you knew the answer to, uh, and then you have to realize, uh, maybe I don't know it. Uh, well, like you I do, I you know, because, and I'll give you guys a, a hint here. 
It means everything, doesn't it? Yeah. Because if Jesus is saying to the woman who's unclean, while you were unclean, I came to you. Mm -hmm. And now that you're clean, how much more now will I not give you all things? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, you know, he paid a price for us to become sons and daughters, but now that we're sons and daughters, it gives us access in the same way our kids have access to us mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and to our wealth, to right. all our resources mm -hmm. that are available for our kids. Yeah. It changes the, and this is something that we've talked about on Midtown staff before, Randy, you've led us in this, but the Lord isn't looking for more laborers. <laughs> He's looking for sons and daughters. And there's this shift in, do I go work for God or am I laboring for God or am I like with my father? Yeah. That's a totally different paradigm shift that Jesus not only does for this woman, but it's what he's done for all of us in the gospel. You just referenced Romans 8 with how much more will he not give us all things? He's made us his own. Yeah. And so now I, I'm with the owner of the vineyard as my father. Yeah. The reason I think that's so critically important for us to remember, even though it's hard to remember, isn't it? it's hard to remember that we're sons and daughters. Hmm. But why it's so critically important is what Jesus said to her. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Mm. That faith is a real-time exercising of the belief that I'm a son and a daughter. Mm. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> I want you to talk to our people about this wonderful, powerful gift that God has given us called faith. Mm. And uh, what is it? And what does it mean to use that? Yeah, I mean, I, I love that the way she shows her faith is she reaches out for the him of Jesus's garment. And what we know is that Jesus has so much more for her than she can imagine in that moment. And that's okay. He doesn't ask her to know all of those things. Mm. And that what he's inviting us to do is to come, uh, not once we've dealt with our fear on our own, but he's asking us to bring our fear, to bring all of the old names that we have for ourselves, to bring all of those things to him and to let him speak to them. That that's uh, us choosing to exercise faith is not us cleaning all those things up on our own, but us bringing ourselves and all of our uncleanliness to him. Mm. Yeah, and I, I like the way you kind of gave that perspective, Brant, because there's this false idea we can have that what it means to come in faith to Jesus. We have in that, even that, um, with all of our bad tapes, we have in that expectations of what God is expecting of me to come with. And Jesus doesn't stop this woman when she tugs on the hem of his garment and say like, well, until you know all that I can do for you, you get none of me. Hmm. He actually enters into whatever amount of faith she had in him, whatever she thought she knew about him. Right. And he gives her all of him, which speaks to what we've said, I know, at all of our congregations in different ways is our hope is not in the amount of our faith, it's in the object of our faith. Right. And I'm not standing on levels of faith. I'm standing on, like Jesus says, mustard seed, like a, one shred of hope that Jesus is who he says he is. And that will not stop Jesus from giving me um, all of himself. There's a different paradigm to even in how we believe, what we believe about belief is the idea that we're all practicing faith every day in something. And Jesus is saying, hey, would you would you actually bring all the things that you're hoping in and trusting in to save you and sustain you and satisfy you um, and bring that to me and I'll give you all of me. And that is such good news because I have felt so desperate this week in so many different ways. Right. The fear, like I talked about earlier reading the news, the anger, not to mention the fact that I love feeling productive mm -hmm. and that working from home is <laughs> mm -hmm. often anything but productive. Mm -hmm. And I, it's amazing to me how angry that 
that made me on a Wednesday. Mm. Like I had an idea of what I wanted to get done and it didn't get done. And I was so angry about it. Mm-hmm. And that night, my wife and I were supposed to go through the small group guide ourselves. And I had zero desire to talk to her about the Bible at all because I was still so angry mm. about all the work I didn't finish earlier in the day. Mm. Mm-hmm. And the Lord said, hey, can we talk about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that me being in, in quarantine uh, is or social distancing, I'm not in quarantine, just to be clear, <laughs> is exposing all of these things in me that Jesus is asking me not to hide or try to deal with on my own, but to bring to him. Mm-hmm. You know what I love about what you just said, Brant, and you too, Elliot, is that as Christians, sometimes we get so twisted up in our thinking, and we start thinking that uh, my desperation means that I don't have faith, mm-hmm. that my fear means that I don't have faith, that we need to, you know, strengthen our upper lip, you know, stiff upper lip and walk into the world and have no doubts and have no questions Mm -hmm. and have no desperation. And yet Mm -hmm. we see in this picture that desperation and faith in many ways are going hand in hand. Mm. That faith is not some kind of heavenly currency that if we have a lot of it, then God's going to do great things for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we come and we spend our faith at Mm -hmm. the Jesus bank. Right. And in exchange, he comes and does miracles for us. Right. That's not displayed here at all. If your faith is just enough to put your hands out and say, Jesus, I need you. Right. uh, Jesus runs into that small mustard seed of faith and begins to do amazing things. So guys, let's make our way to the end of the story because um, after leaving the woman, Jesus leads this crowd along with Jairus to uh, his house. But before he gets there, he receives uh, probably the worst news he could ever possibly receive. And the one thing that he was most fearful would happen, Mm -hmm. and they said, your daughter is dead. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says something amazing to him. um, Don't be afraid. There it is again. Mm -hmm. Jesus is confronting his fear, Mm -hmm. his great, maybe his greatest fear. Right. He says, just believe, and she will be healed. Mm. And then take me into the house, guys. Well, I think even that moment is a big part of the story because it's showing not only Jesus' you know, going after, uh, I, I've come to make all things well. He's going to heal this woman or this little girl, and we know that. But there's also this, hey, Jairus, um, I, I, I don't move on your timetable. And that that's such an important answer to the question of who is this Jesus that we've been talking about is just this, Jesus, I, I, I thought I had your attention and I thought you were going to come heal my little girl when I needed you to. But now that you haven't made it in time, I guess the story's over. And I just think there's this important, like, Jesus could have healed this bleeding woman any other time, but he chose this moment for this um, this tension with Jairus and with the way that he thought this story was going to go down. And I think there's just actually a painful comfort in uh, Jesus not being hurried by our agenda for him. And so that's why his words are so powerful. Don't be afraid. Only believe she will be well. Like, let me tell you, Jairus, how this story is going to end, even though right now it's it's almost impossible for you to believe that because she's dead. Right. Um, and I'm telling you, Jairus, there's an end of the story that you can't see yet, uh, but I'm inviting you into my timetable. I'm inviting you into my like my seat on the throne that says like, Hey, I'm, I'm taking care of things, um, in ways and in, uh, in, in timetables that you maybe, uh, had different ideas for. And I I think that's part of Jairus's healing actually. And then Jesus goes into the house. Right. And he raises this little girl, girl from the dead. And I love that the contrast here is the same as in the other fear stories that we talked about Mm -hmm. that miracles like this have happened in other places in scripture 
but they never happen like Jesus does them. Right. Because Jesus doesn't pray and ask God, the Father, to heal this little girl. Mm. He speaks to her and calls her back from the dead because that is the kind of power that he has Mm. himself. Mm. He shows us not only does he have that power, but that he has the desire, the character, the compassion that he wants to use that power on behalf of this little girl Mm. and on behalf of her father and her family. Yeah, as a personal aside, this is actually the story where my little girl... My youngest gets her name. In the Mark version of this story, Jesus goes into this little girl's room and he says to her in Aramaic, which was the language that they spoke, talithakum, which means it's this endearing fatherly term for a daughter. It means little girl, wake up. It's almost like wake up sunshine. And we thought that we had lost this baby in a rough pregnancy with bed rest and hemorrhaging. And the hope was that Jesus had our little girl and So this story carries a lot of weight, even for all the things that are being challenged, that Jesus would do it on our timetable and in the way that we wanted him to. And there was um, a lot of fear and trembling. And we now get to hold our little girl knowing that Jesus was not afraid of the same things we were afraid of, uh, but he had the power uh, over doctors and and, uh, probabilities to give us our little Talitha, little Tilly. So It's beautiful. You know, um, Brent, I want to bring you in here because... Some people would read this passage and say, if we have enough faith in Jesus, that if we come and grab the hem of his garment and come to him by faith, we won't get sick. Uh, Jesus will heal us. We won't get the coronavirus. And if we do, we're okay because Jesus won't let the coronavirus hurt us. But talk to our community and help us understand that Jesus doesn't always intervene even when we have faith. He doesn't intervene sometimes and heal us. He doesn't intervene sometimes and protect our loved ones from going to the grave. So what is the use of faith here? Hmm. What do we have faith in? Yeah, I mean, I I can think of stories in my own life, and I'm sure you guys can too. I've heard you tell them of of times where we prayed and hoped and things did not turn out like we wanted them to turn out. And I think this passage is still encouraging to me and to us and, and should be because of what we see Jesus demonstrate here. And I, I mentioned it before that he demonstrates both his power and his willingness to use his power uh, to the good of his children. Mm. And what we know is that this little girl, sh- she was raised from the dead, but she faced death again. Mm-hmm. And what Jesus ultimately promises is that there's life on the other side of death, mm. that he promises to undo death in our world, to give us a new creation that he tells us we get to live in with him in real physical bodies where disease is no longer a part of our existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he foreshadows that for us here, and it's only a taste. Mm-hmm. And it's a taste of a promise that's going to be fulfilled in the future. Right. And so now we we hope and we trust in the power and the goodness of Jesus, knowing that there's going to be a day where it's fulfilled in a way that is totally complete mm. and is better than anything we could imagine. Yeah. It's, it's like he's doing with us what he did with Jairus. Mm-hmm. The answer to the question, who am I, is I'm one who will use my power uh, to become unclean for your sake. Like I'm willing as the clean one to become unclean for you in order that I might heal you. Yeah. That's the ultimate answer to the question in this closing little narrative is, who is this Jesus? He is Lord over sickness and Lord over death. He's also the one who as Lord over those things will become unclean for his people and did ultimately on the cross. And so there's this 
comfort in all of the sickness and death that don't go the way we want them to here to know that that Jesus is the one who also would become unclean for us so we can trust him even when we stay sick or our loved ones die. That what he's done in becoming unclean for us has made us clean. Right. 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 And given us yeah. then the confidence to approach God as Father. Which is amazing is because he guarantees when we do that, he heals us spiritually. Mm. He may not heal us physically, mm-hmm. but he will heal us spiritually, which in many ways heals us socially too, because mm. now we go into the world and into our lives as people that were once dead, but now we've been made alive. And it's no longer us who lives, but Christ who lives in us. And the life we live now, we live by faith. In this season of what's going on in our country right now, is profound because in 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says that we've not been given a spirit of fear. Like when Mm. we are healed spiritually and we're called sons and daughters, the spirit of fear is not from our Father. Mm. That's not what he gave us. What he gave us was a spirit of power, love, and Mm self-control. In fact, by faith, we pick those things up Mm -hmm. and begin to walk into our lives with them. And You know, as we think about that, many times here at Midtown, we've said that it's okay not to be okay. Mm -hmm. But it's also okay to be on the road to being okay. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to be okay. But one of the fruits of being okay in the way Jesus loves to work is when we're okay, we tend to go back and grab the hand of somebody who's not okay Mm. and begin to walk them to a place of healing as Jesus took our hand and walked us to a place of healing. In many ways, that's an exercising of faith when we pray for one another, when we care for one another, when we connect deeply with our small group Mm -hmm. and try to carry one another's burdens, or we care for the elderly on our street Mm. that are shut in or are afraid. Yeah, and I think even of what Brant shared about his experience this week, that that's part of the encouragement for our whole movement in this season we're in of social distancing and like I know that most of the people listening to this um, are experiencing something in the social isolation, in the distancing that they don't like. And what the invitation of this passage is, is in faith to bring all of your uncleanliness to yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Um, it's okay to not be okay, like you just said, that the invitation of this passage is not to be okay and then come to Jesus. It's actually, if you're not okay, that's okay. Bring that to Jesus and bring that to your community and to your small group via Zoom that you can uh, you can actually go on the journey of... Wait, of that's our sponsor. No, Zoom is our sponsor. <laughs> yes. Sponsored by Zoom. Yes. I wonder if they'd sponsor us. Yeah, I'm sure Zoom is listening right now. So, <laughs> um, the goal for this is not to get to a place where we don't need to come back to Jesus. Yes. The invitation of the passage is bring whatever makes you unclean to Jesus uh, in faith and let him heal you. Yeah, And I think really practically, one of the things that that means for us in this time is, I think there's an invitation here to be creative in the way that we let this flow out into our neighborhoods and into the world around us. Mm-hmm. At our house, we've been talking a lot about hospitality and what does that mean and what does that look like? And it feels like all the things that we've learned are irrelevant. <laughs> we, can't, we can't open up our home. We can't do those things that we love to do. Mm-hmm. And so instead we're being forced to think about this in a really different way. Mm. And in a lot of ways, I think it's God training us to think about hospitality in a deeper way. Yeah. That sometimes the hardest thing for me to do, and I'm a pastor, you pay me to do this, mm. is to say to someone on the other end of the phone, hey, can I pray for you? Mm. And part of caring for each other in faith is having the faith to push past the fear that would stop me even from 
asking that question and to ask. Yeah. To have the faith to ask the people in your small group how they're doing spiritually and to have the the faith in a Jesus who is working in us and in the world around us to care for people. Mm. Well, guys, I'm going to wrap up our time together just by saying to our folks um, how much we deeply love the folks that go to Midtown mm. and the community there and how much it uh, creates sorrow in our heart that we can't be with our people and uh, worship. But also our hope and prayer is that these crazy little podcasts will bring some comfort and the Lord will use them to mm-hmm. speak into the hearts and lives of our people and really build us stronger. Um, mm-hmm. We often say at Midtown, if you've gone to church, it's almost over. But if you are the church, then the adventure has just begun. Mm-hmm. And guess what, people? The adventure has just begun. Mm-hmm. We are the church. Mm-hmm. So um, let me pray for us and remind you before I do that go to Spotify. There should be a link right below this podcast that will give you a chance to go and hear the worship music that we mm-hmm. use at Midtown and yeah. hopefully aid you and your family uh, time and worship during this season that we're not meeting together. Mm-hmm. Lord, thank you for these kind of stories in Scripture where you reveal to us the beauty of your son Jesus. And in the same way that he received someone who was desperate for him, we also see how he is desperate for them. Mm that Jesus, you love us that way, that we're your treasured possession, that you would come and find us and claim us as your own, and that you dare us today to wear the name son and daughter Mm. and to take up those names by faith and to run to you and live as those that are deeply loved, live as those that have a good, good father, and Mm. live as those that have not been given a spirit of fear by our father, but Mm. one of power and love and self-control, and that, Lord, we would take those things by faith into our community and uh, love each other. So, Lord, bless our work and bless our community. We pray for healing for our nation. Mm. Uh, We especially pray for those that are sick and have contracted the coronavirus. Lord, Mm. we pray mercy on them and kindness toward them by your hand. And Lord, do your work in our city and uh, restore our city. We pray in Christ's name. Mm. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen.